0: Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Well, Team Canada is through, advancing past Serbia to move into the qualifiers of the Billie Jean King Cup for 2022. And our guest this week, one of our favorites and a mainstay on Sportsnet, uh, Carolyn Cameron, joining us. Uh, Carolyn, thanks so much for uh, being back on with us on Matchpoint Canada. We appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Welcome back. You are definitely one of the regulars we've had over the years. So thanks for sticking with us. Um, (laughs) Enjoyed your coverage of the Billie Jean Cup tie. Uh, Was that the first time you've covered a tennis event virtually or are you becoming a a pro at doing it that way nowadays?
1: You know what? I was actually trying to think uh, this past weekend. I think this is maybe the around third one that I've done virtually speaking. So it goes to show that in some instances just with travel and wherever in the world one of these is, whether it's Uh, Billie Jean King Cup or Davis Cup. Sometimes uh, we do not just in a pandemic uh, call it off tube or off the screen. I much prefer being there in person. And as you two both know, it's just it's so much better when you're in person and you can really get a feel and, and see all the details of everything that's happening over the course, not just of the weekend, but the week leading up. But yeah, I guess, strangely, I'm getting a little bit used to it. <laughs> that's <laughs> not good.
2: You don't, you don't catch all those moments that are behind the scenes that you don't just see on the TV feed, right? Um, I mean, you did a great job regardless, of course, but I would imagine that, yeah, that's much more challenging. Um, let's focus on the squad that was over there because it was a really interesting one. We had the kid leading the team, Leila Annie Fernandez, along with three veterans who've really gone through a lot to come back to the tennis court between Sharon coming back from working broadcasting with you for a while um Carol Zhao and Rebecca Marino with injuries as well uh, on paper it looked like a pretty straightforward result for this squad but it was a little tighter than uh, than that would indicate eh?
1: yeah I was really impressed because like on paper in terms of the ranking, Serbia was favored especially on the single side and so for Leila to get that first win even a tough one in just what two hours and 34 minutes on the opening day on Friday And it's kind of like, as you guys know, a lot of Layla's matches, they are kind of grinded out, keep fighting, get, it's not going to be easy, but you get there. So it's true. And it's what I said on air is this entire weekend and every match wasn't as simple as the score might indicate. And then that's the same for Rebecca's match on Friday too, even though it was a straight sets win, she kind of kept getting herself in a little bit of trouble and then got herself out. And that's in a way a good thing because it shows that it was always on her racket. All match long which I firmly believe with her power and her serve and she had 10 aces in that match and then of course the I think we can say strange match on Saturday for Layla not just because it was a three setter and back and forth with the breaks in the third set or break points especially in the third set and then the lights going out when there's the fifth match point so it was very bizarre and it was really I think a grind is the best way to put this past weekend and yet and yet they get the sweep so it's the result they wanted it was just perhaps trickier than it appeared to get there.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good description, especially in terms of the matches. uh, As you mentioned, Layla Fernandez played, like looking at the first one, you probably felt like she didn't really quite have her best tennis in terms of consistency and then still kind of finds a way to, to get through. And, uh, you know, I asked her after the second match, kind of navigating a situation where, you know, you're, <laughs> you want to close this match. You've had all these match point opportunities, then the lights go out. Like, that's something I think mentally for a lot of players, like, really weigh on your mind while you're waiting there. Like, you want to get back out, you want to play this point. Well, what did you just make of her kind of ability to handle these pressure situations? She's, she's 18 years old and already it's like we're, we're giving giving her the keys to this team in a sense. And, and she delivered on both occasions.
1: Yeah. That's kind of uh, a good example of why all of us are on this side of the business. Cause in situations <laughs> like that, I would just completely crumble. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> it was yeah. Like even she was serving for the match too. Right. And you just, I mean, sure. She's the the top ranked Canadian and the top ranked singles player. In the playoff, but you're right. Like she's still 18 years old, and the pressure and the hopes are all on her. And in tennis, I think sometimes we forget, and we need to remind ourselves that it's so rare to be playing in these team environments. So it does add not only extra pressure, but extra pressure that you wouldn't be used to, because usually you're just playing for yourself and your literal team, being your coach. Um, I I was really impressed with how she handled it, and actually calling the match with Patricia Hebilay. When she was serving for it and then she got broken, it kept a commercial. And I said to Patricia, I'm like, based on how this match is going and how Layla plays so well, kind of from behind or as the underdog, I could totally see her breaking to win this match. And it was also just kind of how the match was going and how that third set was going. So I don't think it really was a big surprise that she broke finally, eventually after the six match points to win the match. Uh, and I don't think it's too surprising that she wasn't able to serve it out. It was, it was such a big moment. And at the end of the day, she got it done. And, and the confidence that this will give her moving forward, I think is, is so important and so imperative. And that's what Patricia Hibule was saying all weekend is a lot of times, and we can look no further than Vashti Kospisil, you can gain a lot of confidence from these international weekends where you're on a big stage, the pressure's on, you're playing top players and you get it done. And the same can be said for Rebecca Marino and her sweep this weekend
0: yeah yeah that's a that's a great point i think um heading into this tie with serbia we were looking back at least last year and probably what that win over belinda bencic would have done for leila fernandez and her confidence and you know maybe we maybe we sometimes put aside these international competitions because if we're we're tracking rankings and and what Mm -hmm. players are doing at tournaments these don't count but um yeah, surely, um, you know, a, a title in February at Monterey. Now these big wins where she's leading Canada. Um, I, I wonder if she's maybe due for a big clay court season. And we we haven't really seen like that big clay court swing yet for Layla, obviously with breaks last year as well.
1: Yeah. And with, you know, what's interesting about that too, just thinking of the clay court swing, we haven't seen a real true clay court season from Bianca either. Very true. <laughs> and I even needed to kind of check myself in terms of just how much attention Um, And perhaps lack of perspective we sometimes uh, have when we're talking about Bianca, even when we're thinking and seeing Layla and, Oh, she's so young. And I mean, this is so new. Bianca is two years older than she is. Not much. It's like, what? Yeah, that's nothing. So it's, Mm -hmm. it just puts things in perspective. And with all the injuries for Bianca, I'm, I'm just really excited for the clay court swing. I mean, right now I just need things to be excited about because of 2021, but hopefully it'll be good results from the Canadians.
2: It was really nice to see Bianca join you guys on the telecast. I mean, clearly she didn't have to do that. So that was really, I thought, well played on her part and nice to see her still involved, even though she couldn't compete as she recovers from that injury sustained in Miami. But uh, nice little conversation between the two of you. For those who didn't catch it, could you bring our listeners up to speed on on what Bianca shared with you in terms of where she's at right now and, and what's the plan moving forward?
1: Sure. Yeah. And I really appreciated and enjoyed that chat too. Cause I think just as anyone would at her age, she's maturing and she's learning along the way. And she's very, um, she's reflective, uh, more so for her age than I think a lot of people, if I reflect back (laughs) on myself at that age. So the chat was that she's getting healthy, she's feeling good. Um, and she will be ready for the clay court swing, which she went into detail to explain is that, As we all know, the fighter in her on court and never wanting to give up is one of kind of her superpowers, if you will. That's what makes her so good, but it also can work against her. And so she said that's kind of the internal fight and her team's trying to help her. And she's now trying to realize is if you feel a little tweak and something starts getting more painful, like it did in the Miami open final, of course, you don't want to retire. You don't want to leave the final. You want to try and fight it out. But at what cost? right? You could finish the match and not win. You could finish the match and win, but what does that mean for the months ahead? So that's where for her, she said, she's just trying to find that balance in understanding her body and understanding, okay, maybe at times I do have to stop and realize that my body's trying to tell me something. So I just really appreciated that conversation because it, it just shows that she's understanding where she's at. It's not as simple as, yeah, I got injured. I had to, I had to retire from the match. It's okay this is something that I don't want to have keep happening. And I need to figure a way to work through it. And then we were talking about uh, Fernandez and just how highly uh, Bianca thinks of Layla's game, especially for a tricky lefty. As she said, I think she said she whooped my ass in Australia was the direct that quote. Was the was up? Move, yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, no need to paraphrase there. Um, <laughs> just at practice. And then just because it's renamed to the Billie Jean King cup this year, I was asking her about her personal relationship with, uh, Billy and she said, it's just been so great because she can just text her and Billy will text her after matches. And it's not always just about tennis. It's just life advice. So I left that interview feeling enlightened and jealous.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I did enjoy the, uh, the little side convo about Leila Annie Fernandez, you know, because sometimes you can feel a little bit of, um, competition with a teammate in that sense, someone who's coming up who is, as you said, two years younger. Um, Not that Leilani Fernandez is trying to steal her thunder, but more so following her footsteps, I would say. The two of them, it seems, um, have a good sort of uh, repertoire, rapport between them if they were hitting in in Australia, like Bianca mentioned. What do you think the two of them represent for Canada? I mean, for me, I'm just, I can't wait to see what's going to transpire over the course of the next 10 years or so, because I think the two of them give Canada a real solid, one-two punch and it seems like they could work well together also.
1: Yeah my sense is there's a real genuine liking and even Mike it goes back to what you said just to start this chat today is that even this without Bianca and Jeannie this Billie Jean King Cup team for Canada was just they got along so well and they were all so appreciative to be there for different reasons so it's as you said with Rebecca kind of still part of this comeback Um, with Sharon Fitchman too recovering from injury and looking ahead to the Olympics within her kind of 2.0 of her career, Carol Zhao coming back from injury, all of them chasing tournaments and matches on tour in a pandemic year. And then Layla kind of coming up in the rankings and, and trying to put on a show and get better and, and be a sponge and take everything in from this team. And then with Bianca as well, it's just, I think an appreciation for the depth and the skill that is, is rising around her. And especially, I forgot to mention too, Gabriela Dabrowski, not there. And she's a very well-liked, well-respected teammate. So I think for, for Leila and Bianca, it's not the same if we want to compare it to the men's side with Felix and Dennis, just because they've grown up since their early teens as best friends and right there by each other's side. But I think it's healthy competition. And when you do look to the international stage, it's okay, well, next year, we're in the qualifiers for the 2022 finals. And if we have a healthy team, we could get there and we could do well and do what Canada did on the men's side in the Davis Cup. So yeah, there was just, it was just a really nice sense between Bianca's interview and talking to her off camera and the team that was in Serbia, just a real appreciation and genuine like of each other and being there playing together. It was just, it was nice.
2: It well for the future.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, certainly does. That that was basically the sense I got just impressed in, in as well with Rebecca Marino, a great appreciation and sort of talking about how the group of the four of them all, all had sort of their unique stories of, of their different careers and different paths and, and being back. And, you know, for you, you've covered Rebecca Marino, I think, uh, in the past, just just for Sportsnet. And of course, we had the five year layoff. Um, and then we had an additional kind of year layoff where she, she missed 2020 as well and sort of the tail end of 2019. What can you maybe tell us just about Rebecca, I mean, I, I always take a lot from any conversation that I have with Rebecca Marino, but I, I feel like you know her better as as a person, um, more so than just a tennis player.
1: Yeah, I remember I was able to spend some time with she and her family in Vancouver. I think it's coming up three summers ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, as many listeners might know, Rebecca, she lost her dad, Joe, around this time last year uh to cancer. And it was a long fight with cancer. And when I was able to interview she and her parents in their home in Vancouver, it was the three of them talking openly together. And what I think was so special is this was, it was really supposed to be, obviously we're there for Rebecca, right? And you get the the family perspective and about her comeback and why she came back. And she in front of her parents, her mom and dad was talking about that she was inspired by her dad's battle with cancer and how he fought to come back to tennis. And then he in turn said openly, that part of the reason that he was fighting so hard was because he was so inspired by Rebecca in terms of leaving the game and how she dealt with her mental health and got to a happy place. So I think so much we're just focused on what's happening on the court. And in tennis, one of the reasons I'm so fascinated by it and love it is because it's just you out on the court. Like they don't have any help. It's just them touring the world. Sure. They have, They have help when they're touring, but sometimes they're alone on tour too. And and that goes for Rebecca. And you're out there battling and you're grinding. And I think a lot of times we lose sight of what's happening in their lives behind the scenes. So for Rebecca and just seeing how far she's come and what the journey's been in the last 10 years, and then to show up in 2021, after 2020 losing her father in the pandemic and what she calls the hardest year of her life, come back, qualify for a slam, win a round for the first time in a decade, and then say at Billie Jean King Cup, I've I've found my passion for tennis again. I'm just as a person happy to see her happy. And then in turn, it's just so great when you also on a weekend like that see her get the results. So she's just a very nice, down to earth person who I mean, like anyone should. I just I just want the best for her and want her to be happy doing her job.
0: You can't help but root for someone like that. Yeah. 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 So, so inspiring. And as you said, like just being alone and and also with the COVID restrictions, I mean, she was physically completely alone when she went out to not only qualify for the Australian open, but then take that next step and, and went around winning around at a major for the first time in nearly 10 years. Unbelievable. I, I found it, um, curious, actually the Serbian captain afterwards discussing, um, Canada's performance, and she specifically talked about how well Rebecca Marino played in that second rubber, um, of course, beating Nina Stojanovic in straight sets. I, I felt like Serbia was thinking Well, you know, Layla is very, very tough, so we have to find an edge and maybe get this second rubber against Marino and maybe not quite prepare for just how well she is playing on the court. Where do you think maybe she's going to fit into the WTA landscape maybe going forward this season? Because I I feel like with her level right now, um, her ranking is not remotely reflective of that. She almost feels like a, a top 100 player to me right now.
1: Totally, I think so. And so she's 230 in the world as we're recording this podcast, and that was her first top 100 win since September of 2018. And when Rebecca Marino is striking the ball from the baseline, especially on the hard courts, like she's she's hard to beat. She can dictate the points, and then to see her serving so well too, it's kind of like you're screwed if she's on, right? (laughs) Like that was all the talk too when she broke out on tour uh, too. yeah, I think it's just the challenge this year is just if she can get into enough tournaments and enough matches. And that's where it's it's tricky at any stage of your career uh, to grind it out and, and consistently get those wins so that then you're getting into bigger tournaments and able to play higher ranked players. But that's especially difficult in 2021. But I think for her, it's just looking ahead to the Olympics, seeing if that'll hopefully be a possibility and doing whatever she can. I think she said, and I might misspeak here, but I think she said she's ready for a really long road trip. Like we're talking three months possibly without being at home. So, oh, well. but she seemed totally like, okay, well, this is what I got to do and I'm enjoying it right now. So let's see what happens. But I think her game, I'm with you, Ben. I think it's much better than her 230 ranking might. Reflect. I think she's a top 100, and it would be so great to see her get back there.
2: Carolyn, you've covered so many international events uh, with the Canadian squads over the past decade. Now, I want to say, have you got any favorite moments that uh, that stand out to you? Whether it's from on court or or behind the scenes that you've been a part of in some of those Canadian ties?
1: Hmm, they're just so fun to begin with, like. Davis cup and Billie Jean King cup. It's just like nothing else in sport that I've really experienced. Cause it's just for that weekend. That is their super bowl. And the fans are just so fun and it's so loud. Maybe after a few hours you start getting a headache cause it's so loud, but it's so fun. So favorite moments. Um, I do not have a good memory, so I might misspeak <laughs> here, but I think it was in Montreal when Bianca won both her matches and she was probably about 15 or 16 I was doing courtside then. And that was really fun. Cause it's, it's so fun when you start to see the players come up and it's like, Oh, well, here's the first look at someone who's a teenager getting a big win on a big stage with the pressure on. Um, that was really cool. I, I just really enjoy, sorry, this probably isn't the best answer. I just really enjoy the weeks and the and getting to talk to the players and get to know them a little bit better and and just seeing the week play out and able to see them practice. It's just, it's a different um, vibe than a tournament. And as a broadcaster, selfishly too, you just get more access.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's like a tournament
1: feel, right? And if you're, I'm trying to think of other sports, it's like going to a hockey tournament or the Memorial cup or something like that. It's just. It's a
2: different kind of fan also because it's behind their country. And, you know, I've attended a couple of home ties in, in Vancouver, and even though the crowd is smaller than what you'd get at, say, center court of, you know, the National Bank Open or, or a tournament of that size, it, it feels louder because they're just so yes. passionate about, if they're there, it's your most passionate tennis fans. Yeah,
1: hardcores. Yep. That's what even Patricia and I were saying, because the the Saturday broadcast started at 5 a.m. And it's like, gee, I wonder how many people will be watching. And I'm like, the hardcores will <laughs> be watching.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, you touched on this earlier, and obviously we highlighted the fact that Bianca wasn't here, Gabby wasn't here, and I was just looking back to the 2019 run for Canada on the men's side in Davis Cup, just remembering that finals run, and then trying to think of like, wow, what could this team do? I mean, they're already a capable team. When you know the best Canadian singles player in the world isn't there and our best doubles player isn't there so you have to start asking the question like how how good could this team realistically be in the coming years and and where could they maybe fit in amongst other tennis nations um, at the Billie Jean King Cup.
1: Well, and it comes down to singles, right? And I think this is just a side note. I think that's in a way unfortunate. Like Patricia and I were talking about on the broadcast, we would both love to see similar to Davis Cup where the doubles has more importance. Right. I think it's kind of silly that it's either meaningless or it means everything. I think there kind of needs to be a balance. But that being said, it comes down to singles. So if you have Bianca, great. I mean, that feels like a lock, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of who you're playing in the world. And then with Layla... If assuming they're both healthy, I mean, she's in the top 100 now, she's probably going to climb into the top 150. You would have to think within the next year if she continues to go on the path at the rate she is. So if you have two strong singles players within the top 50 and they both have that underlying fight mentality, I really like Toronto's, or Toronto's, yeah, <laughs> that's bad. Canada's <laughs> chances. Um, and I think. It's just very uh, reassuring, similar to the Davis Cup side, when you know that you also have the depth behind you. And I think for Bianca watching from afar this weekend, she's probably thinking, this is great. Like they're getting us back to this world stage without myself, without Jeannie, who's now 120 in the world. Um, so it's great to have that that depth behind you. But I think Canada could do very well and be amongst the top, what, maybe six, seven in the world. mm Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm speaking of Toronto's chance I mean Canada's chances um two big tournaments that Canada holds every year hey one of them's in Toronto and uh just want to end by sort of getting your your gauge of uh I mean it's tough to say what things are going to look like in a few months but right now they're not looking so hot in Ontario certainly if the tournament was coming up in the next month or so there's no way it would be happening have you got any vibe on you know what the chances are that we'll be able to get the band back together, so to speak, and, and have the uh, National Bank open in, in both Montreal and Toronto in, in some sort of, you know, way, shape or form.
1: Yeah, I'll preface this by saying I have very little inside knowledge as to if it will happen or not. I do know that it's not a decision that can obviously be made August 1st or even in the middle of July. And I think that's the biggest issue is it's not a matter of how will COVID be come August. It's how is COVID come perhaps the first week of June, because that's around the time the decision needs to be made. So I personally, and this is just my gut, I don't feel great about it. Just seeing the other events that have been canceled locally, whether that's the Grand Prix, whether, which was just canceled, um, announced in the past week, or whether that was in, I believe it's June, the Canadian Open for golf. So when I see those international events getting canceled, and yes, uh, the National Bank Open has another month kind of bumper. Um, I don't love the chances, especially based on how high the COVID numbers are, specifically in Ontario and growing across the country. So I have my fingers crossed, but it's not a Tennis Canada decision either. It's it's with the government.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, we had we had obviously been thinking maybe at the start of the year that we'd be planning like the tournaments would happen, but be broadcast only. I I suppose if, suppose if they do take place, like you will be prepared kind of for that broadcast only version of it.
1: Yeah, that's a safe bet. I'm just, again, I'm just concerned of whether or not it'll happen. It's because you have international players coming from the Olympics and that also goes into play is what is the scene going to be like there and what are the protocols going to be? And then it's trying to get a shortened quarantine from the government from international players and it's not just the players it's their team it's their support staff so there's a lot more to it than even simply um say in the nhl how the government shortened the uh, quarantine from 14 to 7 just for the trade deadline that's just coming from the states and it's a handful of people so a lot of moving parts yeah well above my pay grade but it's very it's very complicated and i will say just for tennis canada like The tournament is so important in terms of money and support for players, for development throughout the course of the year. And for two tournaments to not happen in consecutive years, that would be really devastating and tough for Tennis Canada. So I hope they can find a way to safely get it done, but we'll just have to wait and see, especially in Ontario, um, how the next month goes in the stay at home order.
2: Yeah. There's bigger things that are going on, but fingers, mm. fingers crossed. Cause I don't know about you. I have a feeling it's similar. It's kind of like my Christmas every year when that tournament
0: does happen.
1: Yeah. I always say it's my favorite week of the year, that and Christmas. <laughs> favorite well,
0: weeks. well, it's always uh, one of our favorite episodes when uh, you're able to join us. So we appreciate uh, your great coverage, of course, of the Billie Jean King cup tie. And uh, thanks for uh, joining us this week, Carolyn.
1: Thanks for having me guys.
0: There you have it, Carolyn Cameron of Sportsnet, and you are listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. And yeah, we talked about going into this tie, like still feeling pretty confident about this Canadian squad, despite the fact that No Bianca, no Jeannie Bouchard, no top doubles player in Gabby Dabrowski and um, handing the keys to Layla Fernandez. And she put this thing in cruise control. I mean, it it wasn't always like the easiest road, I think, for either of her matches. Um, But to get that done and, uh, you know, vault Canada into qualifiers for next year is huge.
2: Yeah. And when I was looking at the rankings pre-event, I don't put any stock into them because... To me, Leila Annie Fernandez is, is a much um, tougher competitor than, you know, 70th in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca Marino, don't even look at that ranking because the way she's been playing since the new year also puts her, in my mind, into top 100 contention once she gets more events under her belt. So to me, really, Canada did what they had to do. Uh, they showed us the depth that we have in the system uh, with Bianca and Jeannie not there and Gabby Dabrowski, our premier doubles player, not there as well. Um, And and what's important to me is seeing Canada make progress on the international level on the women's side from that loss versus the Czech Republic in 2019 to the loss against the Swiss last year. They kind of needed a victory. And so I think this came at a a great time for the Canadians. And it's got to leave everyone feeling good now because it means, as you mentioned, we're back into uh, the qualifiers in 2022 and competing with the best nations in the world for um, you know, hopefully what's one day, a a Billie Jean cup for Canada.
0: Yeah, that would, that would be amazing. Has to do uh, wonders for confidence as well. I think for our captain, Heidi El Tabak, who is still a relatively new captain and kind of navigating this new role over the past couple of years, learning the personalities of her players, learning strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, you know, I, I think we got the favorable matchups. I think the the huge turning point to me was honestly, Rebecca Marino winning that second singles rubber. You looked kind of on paper and okay. Our first match, Layla Fernandez, Olga Danilovic. Layla is definitely the slight favorite here. But as I said, like when we were talking to Carolyn, Serbia thought we have, a potential edge in that second rubber. When we play Rebecca Marino, I think they probably viewed that as a must win and for Marino to get that done in straight sets. So impressive. Um, As Carolyn mentioned, the serve, I think that serve forehand combination really makes her like a potent threat when you're sort of, comfortably holding serve on the women's tour you're really really tough to beat and so that was massive I think for Marino not just for the team but surely for her confidence as uh, she she continues on with this season and hopefully a lot more tournaments.
2: Absolutely and and that was perhaps a, a mistake on the part of the Serbians to have that overconfidence for the second singles match mm-hmm. on the opening day. The Serbian coach admitted after the result was, was sealed and Canada had won. And she said, quite frankly, I was very surprised by how well Rebecca Marino played. And to me, that's uh, you know, maybe a, a mistake on the, the coaching staff. Um, and perhaps of the players as well, if they felt that that was a gimme or if that was going to be an easier match um, because I think if you have paid attention to what Rebecca has been doing and, and how special she, she's been playing, since coming back from a lengthy injury um, layoff. But if you go back to even before that, she was playing so well in her comeback to the sport, um, you know, not necessarily at the WTA level, but showing consistent results just below that. And I don't think this surprises anybody who's been following her sort of progress in, in recent months whatsoever.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, We spoke a bit about the second match that Leila Fernandez won over Stojanovic. Such an odd one. And of course, the missed match point opportunities, then the lights go out. And as Carolyn said, just sort of dealing with that situation, like I, I think a lot of players could very mentally crumble in a spot like that. And you kind of have to pinch yourself reminding, reminding yourself she's 18 and handled it the right way and uh do we
2: have have all the sorry do we have all the uh, Serbian staff accounted for that no one was flickering the lights there on that match point to to try and throw Leila Annie off her game
0: yeah um and also just uh in that match as well she was she was substantially well behind after dropping that first set and then she's down a break in the second so storming back and and regaining control just just massive
2: Her, her mental fortitude is is immense and Leila Annie said that even after the flickering light or or I guess the light bulb that went out, uh, she was trying to stay focused and in the moment. And she said she had to trick herself into not thinking it was match point and to convince herself that she was actually down in the match to come up playing with that mentality. So I don't know what most players would, would do in a situation like that, but I feel like, yeah, many would be distracted by the moment, perhaps allow that pressure to creep in. And I love how she's got like these mental tricks and, uh, you know, things that she's uh, thinking about on, on her own there to stay within the moment and, and be at her best when, when play resumes. And so for Layla Annie, who came in as Canada's number one with Bianca not there, I think she did exactly what she had to do, a couple of really tough matches, and she showed us what she's been showing us all along this past year, and that's the reason why when she says she wants to be top 10 by the end of this year, I say, you know what, stranger things have happened. I wouldn't count anything out with this player.
0: No, uh, I completely agree. And as, uh, as we said, I'm so excited to see like this full clay court swing from her. I think she'll be really effective on the clay as well. And we're excited now to see, I think, Canada, what they can do in 2022 for the Billie Jean King Cup. It's just another international event where we're growing as a, a major threat as a tennis nation, we are already that threat, obviously on the men's side uh, proof being in that Davis cup finals run back in 2019, uh, we should shift to the men's side and uh, on the ATP did have a masters 1000 from Monte Carlo, not the final. I think people were expecting, but two top 10 players, two fantastic players, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, defeating Andre Rublev, 6-3, 6-3, uh to capture, what is actually his first career Masters 1000 title. Um, I, I think maybe some people will be surprised to hear that he actually hadn't won a Masters 1000 before this one, um, given that he's uh, a winner of the World Tour, Tour Finals at the end of year. Um, but this was his first Masters 1000 title, and I was just so impressed uh, by his performance. The movement is so sharp. He's hitting with so much depth and uh, really just like took control from the get-go against Rublev, who was, of course, playing amazing tennis himself.
2: Yeah, I mean, Pass not having a Masters one thousand until now. We we've saw him come so close, and that was almost three years ago, back in two thousand eighteen here in Toronto, yep. where he made uh, the finals, and that was really you know a coming out moment for him. Uh, he's won a clay court event before in two thousand nineteen in uh, Estoril, I believe. Uh, so it's not like he hasn't had clay court success, and he's he's made some uh, Masters one thousand clay finals, Madrid two thousand nineteen, where he beat Nadal in the semis. And so I think, hey, look, anyone who's got a clay court win in their career against Rafa Nadal, to me, is an automatic contender anywhere on that surface. Um, And we'll talk about Nadal in in a few moments. But uh, look, these are the players that are going to be taking over. They're going to take over the mantle from the greats when the big three go. And who knows if we'll see someone step up and be, you know, even 50% as dominant as Nadal on clay. But when you talk about the players that will certainly be in the mix, Stefano Sissipas, is one of them, and a great moment for him and his continued career development.
0: Yeah, I think I'm thinking back to a point that's kind of been made over the past couple of years of the big three sort of stronghold. On, on the ATP side and what has definitely been changing in that stronghold is results at masters 1000. So we're still seeing, okay, we're still seeing Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, maybe it's been a couple of years winning the grand slam titles, but masters 1000s, we are consistently seeing the, mer- the emergence of other top 10 players with, uh, team Medvedev, Pass, Rublev, um, all winning these big, big events. Rublev's still waiting that that first Masters 1000 title. But uh, we'll we'll start on the Nadal side because Andre Rublev, as you said, now we have to take him very, very seriously as a clay court contender when you get a win over Rafael Nadal. Uh, I think... We looked at his game, at least dating back to last year, he was winning all these hardcore titles. It was still taking place in 2021. And we thought, okay, maybe Rublev is like the serious danger threat at your U.S. Open, at your Australian Open. But I think he's kind of proven in this past week that he's more than just like a one dimensional player.
2: Yeah, and we've spoken a lot about Russia, you and I, over the last couple of years. I feel like if any other country wanted to poach us for a podcast, it might be the Russians, with the thought <laughs> that we talk about them here on Matchpoint Canada. Yeah. Uh, and in the past, when we spoke about Russia, it was usually Medvedev and, and Hachanov. Mm-hmm. And more and more lately, that's kind of, you know, those two have taken a bit of a backseat to how much we've been speaking about Andre Rublev. And I, I feel like he's been improving at a higher rate. Than the other two, certainly Hatchinov seems to have stalled a little bit. Medvedev is, is still capable of, of great things, as evidenced by the fact he's the number two player in the world. But Rublev is really on the upward trend um, and, again, gives another name. I mean, I think Roland Garros this year is going to be as competitive as it's been in, what, over 15 years because we've got so many names that we're going to be mentioning. And for Nadal fans who might be concerned, well, what does his loss mean? I don't think you can put too much stock in it. Last year, he only played the one clay court warm-up event before Roland Garros. He lost in the quarters in Rome to uh, Diego Schwartzman, but then he went on and and won the French Open without dropping a set. If you go back to 2019, he lost in the semis in Monte Carlo, Barcelona, Madrid. Still went on to win at uh, Roland Garros. I don't know if the passing of the torch, if we're, we're there yet this year, but we're getting closer, and and I don't think you can argue against that.
0: Yeah, I think we're we're definitely verging closer each and every year. And I think one one aspect we are probably um, in the rearview mirror for is recalling like years ago Nadal having you know, a 56 match win streak on clay. I I don't think that's feasible anymore. Um, I, I don't think it's possible the same way. I don't really think it's possible for a Novak Djokovic to win like 50 in a row on a hard court. There are too many great players, especially in the two of three, best two of three format who can come out, play their best tennis and knock one of these guys out. Um, the best of five, still a different animal. Obviously when you're talking about a player who's lost two career matches um, at Roland Garros, We know, I think, regardless of what happens, the next few tournaments that we'll we'll definitely still call Nadal the favorite going into Roland Garros. But I I think it's nice to to get other contenders in the mix. You know, going back to the last few years, we were only really talking about who can maybe give a run to Nadal's money. It's only team and it's only Djokovic. If we have a few other names in the mix, I think it's a a lot more interesting. Um, We should follow up just on, on Novak Djokovic losing early in this tournament. Dan Evans coming into this event, by the way, he had only won seven career matches on clay and uh, he opened the tournament. He beats Dusan Lajovic. He beats Hubert Hurkacz, who just won Miami and then tops Novak Djokovic, six, four, seven, five. Um, this one is certainly out of nowhere, but Dan Evans has been kind of a steady like top 40 player the past couple of years who were used to like pushing great players maybe just not used to seeing him beat one so I, I think for a lot of people this this one came completely out of left field
2: i love some of the shock headlines that resulted from this match you know nightmare scenario for novak <laughs> right. but, okay let's let's cool our jets for a minute here i mean yeah. the guy. Uh, when did he last played was it the aussie open that he mm-hmm. that he last played so there's gonna be you know, more of a chance for these types of upsets. And yeah, he was ticked off and he was disappointed and admitted he wasn't playing so well, but gave credit to his opponent. Um, look, as you mentioned, I think these top guys, Djokovic and Nadal, they're not as concerned, you know, maybe in the moment in the aftermath of a match, they're they're disappointed, but shrug it off quickly because they've got their eye on the prize, which is slam titles. Yeah, And certainly when you look at a Roger Federer, for example, I think all that matters to him at this point, this year is probably Wimbledon. Uh, in terms of what truly matters, trying to get that that one more slam and where it's where's it going to come, that's likely where it's going to come. So same with Djokovic and Nadal is, I wouldn't say they're concerned about the big streaks, about winning every tournament. It's more so how do I peak and work towards being my best when it counts the most in these best of five set slam matches um, to to add to their already enormous legacies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. And uh great run for Dan Evans. He beat Goffin after uh, taking out Djokovic before falling to to Tsitsipas, who claims now his sixth career ATP title. Um, two less actually, surprisingly, than Andre Rublev. But one thing of note that he's kind of uh, has a very firm hold on number five in the rankings. Sasha Zverev um, is now sitting, what, 1700 points back of... Um, a CC pass for that fifth spot in the ranking. So I don't think we're going to see much movement there. We now head over to Barcelona and we get to see Dennis Shapovalov for the first time, the clay court swing, um, What are maybe the expectations, I wonder, for the surface? Like, I got to remind myself, he has been very good on clay in the past. He's made a couple Masters 1000 semifinals just dating back to to last year as well in Rome before uh, losing to Diego Schwartzman. So he's capable on this surface. Um, I, I think sometimes we kind of cloud that with memories of early exits, unfortunately, at the French Open.
2: Yeah, with Chapeau, I'm going to just go with no expectations right now because then when something great happens, I'm just so, you know, wonderfully <laughs> impressed. I don't want to say surprised, but impressed. But not surprised because when you look at what this kid has done, I mean, 22, he's still a kid in my eyes, okay? Yep. What he's done each year, 2017 to, to present time, is each year he's he's thrown in something unexpected, whether it was the Madrid semifinals in 2018, 2019 semis in Miami, Paris Masters final, Got his first title in 2019. I mean, every year I feel like he's done something to show that progress forward, even though it's not as consistent as we would like or as his fans would, would like to see. 2021 has been kind of quiet so far. So maybe now is exactly the time when he's going to strike and throw in a, a hot uh, run uh, on, on the clay. Um, but nothing would surprise me with his talent. How much can he manage his mental, I don't want to call them demons, but just his mental obstacles of having those moments where he derails himself on court with negative behavior. Um, I think as much as he can put those to the side um, will dictate whether or not he can have success on the red dirt this year.
0: Yeah. And uh, unfortunately uh, he has fallen in the same quarter as Felix Ojeali has seen, but Denis Shapovalov, he'll open against either Jeremy Shardy or Nicholas Uh Felix, we're still very, very early into this new partnership with Tony Nadal. So we can't really, give a proper assessment. Unfortunately, he did fall to Christian Guerin th- this past week um, at uh, in Monte Carlo, but uh, as I said, he's in the same quarter. He gets a bye, and it would be a very interesting match if we get to see him face uh, Lorenzo Musetti, who's this rapidly rising flashy Italian player. I think that would be a fantastic match to see.
2: Yeah, isn't it funny that there's already you know talents that are younger than Felix and Dennis coming along to to pay yep. attention to Um, One thing I want to say about Felix and his partnership with Tony Nadal is I don't think we need to see results immediately in terms of winning tournaments or making finals to call this partnership or association a success. I think Mm -hmm. some of the benefits Felix takes from Tony Nadal, we might not see or he might not realize even until further down the road, you know, in his career and just what he can take from him. So it, it doesn't have to be an immediate result to claim that this association is successful or a good idea.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Rafael Nadal will be back at it. Uh, He's dominated this tournament in the past home tournament in in Barcelona. He'll be the number one seed and uh, Stefano Tsitsipas We'll see. I, I think he plans to make a very quick turnaround. Uh, he is the number two seed uh, coming off that win in Monte Carlo. He will get a first round bye, so he should be okay uh, to travel and, and continue the clay court season. I uh, just want to mention on the WTA side, we do have a WTA 500 coming up on clay, uh, which qualifying just wrapping up the Porsche tennis Grand Prix. Uh, Ash Barty, the number one seed there, and Simona Halep, the number two. Obviously, she plays great clay court tennis as well. Uh, Mike, we wanted to wrap today. I mean, we don't really like speaking about politics on this uh, podcast. And I I don't think this is necessarily a political discussion, though. Um, We have new restrictions sweeping across Ontario in regards to COVID-19 and the virus, uh, which is kind of spiraling out of control, unfortunately. And uh, it was announced just this past Friday that outdoor leisure activities such as tennis, for example, among other things, uh, are going to be restricted moving forward uh, for the next few weeks which is I think very like very devastating news to be honest.
2: Don't take away our tennis I mean that was one of the few things that we could sort of safely do and not have to worry about over the course of the last year and uh, I mean look for everyone there's reasons you want to get outside for me it's wanting to get my kids out there and my three kids are just taking an interest in tennis my oldest is seven I've got twins who are five years old future mixed doubles players, perhaps at Wimbledon or uh, the national bank open. We'll see, but they're getting into it. They're enjoying it. And with the tennis courts now, you know, not being able to do that. I, I am lucky that I've got space in the backyard, some concrete space. I've got the kids hitting into our hockey net actually with the rackets and I've got just enough room. I mean, I sent you a video of me and my uh, my little guy yesterday having a little rally in the backyard and he's loving it, but I feel for all the families that don't have that space whether it's here in Toronto or other parts of Ontario, other parts of the province who don't have that luxury. So that if you take away things like their tennis court or their soccer field, what the heck are they supposed to do? And if you're going and doing those types of activities, just with your family, not mixing with others. Uh, I don't see, you know, the, the reason why that can't still happen. Uh, I know for you, you play a lot of tournaments still, and, and you had quite a run going. How did you feel when you were still playing in those events? Did you ever feel that there was a, A huge risk or what kind of things did you do to sort of keep yourself safe even though you were out there playing tennis against
0: others? I I really didn't feel there was there was much of a risk at all I was just kind of reflecting on a few of the tournaments I played last summer and and one uh, at a location called Adventure Valley which is relatively near me uh off of Leslie and and near Steeles and it's it's kind of the equivalent of just walking into a park um you know the the greeter and organizer is masked as you get there and sign in and then you're just sent to your tennis court uh along with your partner and and you know tennis of course is like one of the most socially distant sports there is so uh in terms of outdoor tournaments I I thought it was such a completely safe, simple uh, task that you could organize. You know, we didn't have a mass gathering of large people, kind of players hanging around, hanging out like all together. That was never the scenario. I could understand stopping indoor play; that made sense to me. But as long as you don't have these large, large contingent of people sort of gathering together, you're outdoors. To me, fresh air, vitamin D, right now is is actually what's going to keep us healthy, boost our immune system. So I I don't want to see that taken away. Uh, And at the same time, of course, we really want to get this virus under control. You don't want to see people who are doing the right things safely, getting outdoors for healthy exercise, being punished. And I I sort of feel like that's that's what's happening. Uh, And at least to me, just me personally. Uh, before the shutdown, I played tennis, I think, 12 over the past 14 days. So it's a major loss for me in my mornings.
2: Well, try not to let yourself go completely. Okay, Ben. But uh, (laughs) for me, tennis uh, in the pandemic was actually healthier than tennis pre pandemic. uh, Although I didn't get out too often with, you know, anyone my age to play. But when I did in the past, it would be okay, let's play tennis. And then we'll go to the pub and have a few pints, which was actually doing my body probably worse than during the pandemic. (laughs) Hey, let's play tennis. Uh, touch rackets and then go back to our respective homes. You know, so uh, it was actually doing me more good than than pre-pandemic. I'm definitely gonna miss it. Um, like I said, I'm I'm making advantage of the space I have with my little ones. Uh, but I guess you and me and and our long-awaited uh, time on a tennis court together, which we were hoping was gonna happen this summer. Gonna have to wait a little bit longer, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I know. Again, we'll have to put a delay on that. Uh we won't put a delay on Matchpoint Canada. We'll continue with all the podcasts. Thanks so much to SportsNets Carolyn Cameron, who was our guest this week. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.